Welcome to another episode of the Compass Equip podcast. This is Pastor Hayden, and I'm joined with Pastor Evan and special guest, Pastor Mike Fabares. How are you doing, Pastor Mike? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me yeah, today. So grateful to have you at our church this weekend. Looking forward to uh, having you on this Compass Equip podcast. Hoping it's uh, really uh, edifying for the, those who are listening in and just a treat for us. Uh, you know, here at Compass, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything that we do at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Pastor Mike, it has been a blessing to have you and Carlin visiting with us uh, this weekend and uh, preaching out of Hebrews 11, 8 through 16. And before we jump in, I would just love to read the text that you exposited this weekend. We will be in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. It says in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people we speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Uh, Pastor Mike, if you could just kind of reiterate a little bit of the focus of this sermon, as well as the, the points that you exposited well, if you could just give us, give us an overview of the sermon that you just taught this Sunday. Well, I think Abraham provides such a great example of someone who follows what God has asked him to do, mm-hmm. even though it's not all laid out for him. And as I tried to illustrate in the sermon, it's like signing a check. You don't know what's the amount. You don't know what the the task is i mean it's a weird statement as you read it there right he went out not knowing where he was going well he didn't know where he was going all he knew is he was going where god was taking him mm-hmm. and i guess one of the things that i'm concerned about in a sermon like that is that someone is going to take their own thoughts about what they want to do and they're going to try to blame it on god right and i don't want that to be the case i i want us to know as i tried to emphasize in the sermon we're going to have to get our cues from what God says, right? God's not coming to us in the middle of the night and saying, hey, Abram, leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to the land in which I'll show you, right? God has given us a path, and it's in the Scriptures, and it's all about us being willing to do what we find there in the Scriptures. And I think you felt that in the sermon. There was mm-hmm. a lot of emphasis on the fact that we we listen to sermons that are biblical. We do our quiet times. We spend time studying the Bible. We go to home fellowship groups. We look at what the Bible has to say. We seek to apply it that is our, our guide for life. And it mm-hmm. does make it very clear, the details of what we prioritize, how we live our lives, how we invest, and it's going to direct our lives. And 
you know, I think about going, right? Here was Abraham called to go. And there might be someone in your church that heard this sermon this weekend and says, I just, I want to go. I want to go move and change my situation. Just remember how many people in the scripture, uh, I think of the demoniac of the garrisons, mm-hmm. he was told to stay, right? To, to follow God's will. Uh, he said, I want to go with you. And and God said, uh, Jesus said, no, you want, you need to stay. Go home to your hometown and tell people what I've done for you. Uh, there's a guy that wanted to go and he was told to stay. Or, or Moses, right? He did not want to go to Egypt. God sent him, but it was a big pause, right? When he wanted to go at age 40, God said, no, not the time. And he made him wait, right, 40 years. That's a hard thing for us to, to do is to see that there's something that maybe God is calling us to, but it's not now, or it's call, he's calling us to something where we don't want to be, right? We've got to be willing to persevere in God's word to be able to persevere in the Christian life. And so we keep studying God's word. We keep getting good counsel. And I didn't get into all the details of that, but Mm -hmm. if you're facing something and you're thinking, what is God's will in this situation? We've got to go to scripture. We've got to look at principles. We've got to be in a good relationship with other people. I know so many people, and I know you guys do too, where they sit there by themselves and try to figure out the will of God without any input from anyone else. Right? I'm about to preach back home in Orange County, the uh, Jerusalem Council. And, and here was the early church right there in the middle of the book of Acts in Acts 15. We're, they're getting together, right, to be able to figure out what is the next step for the church at this point. What do we say to the church at this point? What, what, how do we go forward? I just think no one should be making these decisions in isolation, right? God's people in God's wisdom is, is given often to us with clarity when we get together and discuss our lives openly and honestly with the principles of God's Word laid out before us. So this sermon was really all about saying, God, I'll do whatever you want, I'll do it whenever you want, I'll do it wherever you want, and that was a clear point in the sermon. Uh, But I just, I need us to be seeking the Lord's will, which is always based on Scripture. It's often confirmed with godly wisdom, and it's something that I hope we can do boldly, um, and not just trying to have God bless our plans, but really look for His plans for our lives. And I know that has a million different directions, and people, you know, it, it can be applied in a lot of different ways. But God's will is what we need to do without excuse, and we need to be able to willing to do whatever God calls us to do. Hmm. So uh, something that we try to talk about a little bit here uh, on Sundays and even through these podcasts that you uh, did touch on quite a bit is just this difference between doing uh, doing the things that God wills for sure, or, or doing the things the Bible doesn't say no to. You know, yeah. you know. So, how would you? Could, could you give us a little bit of wisdom on that, as far as using our time and stewarding our lives, uh, not just for the the things that the Bible doesn't say no to, but more so doing the things that the Bible does say to accomplish. Right. No, that's a good point because I think some people say, well, as long as I stay out of trouble. You know, I, I don't do anything the Bible says I shouldn't do. And as long as I'm just basically touching the bases on the base, basics of what God tells me to do, like to go to church, not forsake the assembling of myself together. You know, I give, Galatians 6, 6. Well, then, you know, that's it. I, I think every parable Jesus told, almost everyone, kind of gets back to the place of look at your life as a steward. What are you doing to maximize your life for Christ, right? Uh, we are invested in by God. We have opportunities based on where we live, based on what God has gifted us with in terms of intelligence or abilities, his giftedness to us in 1 Corinthians 12. We have opportunities that we should always seek to maximize. Right? Think of the parables about you know someone coming and saying, well, you gave me five talents, I've earned five more. Right? You gave three talents, I've earned three more, two more. The guy who says, I just buried it, I kept it. 
You know, I mean, basically he stayed out of trouble, right? He, he, he didn't lose it, but he didn't maximize this opportunity. Think of how often we see, I think, at 1 Corinthians 15, 58, right? We need to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There's always this urgency about it. Jesus said, mm. work while it's day, because at some point the day is going to be over when no man can work. So there's urgency, there's maximizing God's investment in me, and you're not going to be here for long. You should live as though you're trying to apply every passage of Scripture to the fullest, doing all that God is asking you to do in the application of that passage, and and not just trying to barely get by with the bare minimum, right? Be someone who goes the extra mile. I knew a guy who used to talk about the guy who bears fruit, you know, hundredfold, right? Some 30, some 60, some hundredfold. In the fourth soil, right, there's a, there's a return on God's investment, and there's a lot of different kinds of returns. And the, the last soil, the fourth soil, there's some that bear fruit hundredfold. I just think that's, this guy always used to say, that's what I want to be, the hundredfold mm. Christian. And I think that's so good because our life is going to be over before we know it. You're going to look back and say, what did I do for Christ? There's wood, hay, and straw. And we're going to say, it's just a waste of time. And then there's gold, silver, precious stones. Doesn't mean you have to quit your job and be a missionary or a Bible translator or a pastor, but it does mean you're going to maximize every opportunity for Christ. You're going to leverage it as a good steward of what God has invested in you. Such a good word. And before we wrap up the section dealing with uh, this weekend sermon, uh, in the way of these application questions, although our life groups are not meeting over the next couple of weeks, we still have some really good application questions for you to jump into in your personal devo- devotional time or your time uh, in devotion with your family. Pastor Mike, uh, what direction would you love to see people go in as they are going over these uh, devotional application questions? Well, this isn't a bad week uh, to be doing these on your own, even if you never share these with anyone or never discuss them. I mean, there's a lot of questions that are going to dig deep into what you're thinking, how you're feeling, kind of what your past has been in terms of following Christ and doing what he asks you to do, taking risks. I just think it's a good set of questions devotionally, and there's enough there on the worksheet this week. Um, I mean, even if you just try to digest a a couple of them a day, I mean, it's going to keep you digging deeper into how to move forward and maximize your life for Christ. I just want to make sure everyone is saying the foundational first point of the sermon, God, I'm willing to do whatever you say. I'm willing to do it whenever you want. I'm willing to do it wherever you want. If we can think that way and then work through these questions and be super honest with God, not even thinking about sharing them with anyone, just doing them and, and analyzing our heart, I think it'll be really profitable. Fantastic. Well, here is our section for the Daily Bible Reading Spotlight, and Pastor Evan is going to take us through 2 Kings 15 through 25 and 1 Chronicles 1 through 7. Yes, Pastor Hayden, this is the DBR, the Daily Bible Reading Spotlight. Well, Compass, you have done a great job. You are wrapping up the book of Kings. You're finishing 2 Kings verses uh, chapters 15 to 25, and this is a very brief review as you're reading, as the, the kings are getting worse and worse. Um, and some of the good kings come through the, the cracks every so often. God's judgment is coming upon Israel. And this is a reminder of Deuteronomy 28 of the blessings and cursings. God promised saying, if you disobey me, if you worship other gods and, and turn from me, I'm going to discipline you and exile you. And that is what we see at the very end of the book of Kings. It, uh, Judah, Israel has already been exiled. Uh, the northern tribe, the southern tribe, Judah, is now exiled to Babylon. But 
the book ends with hope where the king is still alive and the, the meaning that the seed of David, the one that is supposed to have the Messiah come, that's going to crush the head of the serpent, a theme that you're going to see throughout scripture, is still alive. And that even though it seems like Israel and Judah lost, it seemed like God lost. In reality, he did not. But I want to set you up right now for the book of Chronicles, specifically 1 Chronicles chapters 1 through 7. And the name Chronicles, I don't even want to attempt to pronounce the Hebrew uh, to you guys, but essentially what it means in a, you know, a raw translation is the affairs of the days. And so just writing down what was the affairs of what, it, what was happening. But here's a few things you, you might want to take note. Uh, first is that things might seem like a little bit of Groundhog's Day, where you're going to be rereading about David and Solomon and the kings of Judah. And you might be thinking to yourself, I just read this in Samuel and Kings. You know, Chronicles gets a bad rap because it's repeat. In reality, th- and there's a reason for that. Uh, in our Bible, in our English Bibles that we have, the book of Chronicles is in the middle. Now, if you have a Jewish friend who has an uh, Old Testament for them, their whole Bible, but maybe they have you know, a Jewish Old Testament, Chronicles will actually not be in the middle. It'll be at the very end. Because the book was actually written, and one of the last books ever written, when they organized it, for the, the Jews organized it, they put it at the very end. Now, the reason why we have in the middle is because when, the, when Alexander the Great and then the Greek rulers over uh, Egypt, the Ptolemies, they had a Greek translation of the Old, Tal- uh, Old Testament called the Septuagint. And during that time, they rearranged the order that they thought, they thought was deemed best to organize the Old Testament. And that's why we have it to this day. Um, and also something you're going to notice is that this seems like a very much more positive spin of the kings. You're, re- you're rereading these stories, and a lot of these kings aren't doing much wrong. And there's a re- reason for that. They don't focus on the wrongs of what the kings did. They focus on the highlights of what the kings of, of Judah did. Um, and it's not to say that they're denying what happened in the book of Kings. They know that the book of Kings is already written to say, hey, this has already happened, but this is a different purpose. This is a, the reason for the book of Chronicles is simply this to give the Jewish people hope. This was written uh, most likely around 538 BC or after when the exiles of Judah returned uh, from Babylon. We see this in the very beginning of the book of Chronicles and the very end of 2 Chronicles, where this is the exiles returning. And then the authors, most likely, potentially Ezra, who we see there's a book that named after him, um, it is written by Jews to encourage other Jews who are returning from exile. And you got to think of the, the background a little bit. And especially in that time when nations would war against each other, they believed that the gods of those nations were also at war with each other. And it seemed like in the Jewish perspective that Yahweh lost, that he didn't fulfill his promise. In reality, he did to the nth degree. But it might seem like the pagans won, Babylon won, their gods are real. Ours isn't. Where is our God? Why are we in exile? What's going on? And the book of Chronicles is to point to the hope that no, 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 no. God is faithful. God is in complete control. This is because you're being judged for your sins. And now because you repented, now you're returning back, returning from exile back into the promise and to usher in the beginning of the exile, which technically they're still in. But that's for another story for another time. But the point of Chronicles is to give the Jewish people in us as Christians hope 
to realize that God is faithful, even though it seems like he has has lost. And the main characters of this book are going to be the kings of Judah. You're not going to really hear much from the kings of Israel at all. The book of Chronicles is focusing only on the kings of Judah. And this, the outline of 1 Chronicles is extremely simple. If you want to write it down, it is 1 Chronicles chapters 1 through 9. It is just genealogies. Names, 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 which we'll get to in a second in their, in their importance. So don't skip over them. The next rest of the book, First Chronicles 10 to chapter 30, is the reign of King David. And there you go. There is your outline for the rest of the book of Chronicles, right there, for the First Chronicles. But in all of that, including the names, the key teaching, again, is God did not lose. God is in control. And let me try to prove that to you. The first genealogies you're going to see are the genealogies from Adam to Abraham and Abraham to Jacob. Just a bit of a history lesson showing that God was faithful. Remember, um, that that Abraham had to wait for a child, and then he promised that uh, he would, and guess what? He had a child and many descendants. Next genealogy is the genealogy of David and the descendants of David. Now, this is important. Why? Because the um, God established in 2 Samuel 7, the covenant with David, that his kingdom will never end. And also, we know that in the new, especially in the New Testament, that there's going to be a lineage from the woman, Eve, back in the garden that will crush the head of the serpent. Now, this genealogy of, the, of David and the, his descendants is to show one thing. The royal line, the line where the Messiah, come, the, the Messiah will come to crush the head of the serpent, is still intact. It hasn't died out. Despite what Babylon tried to do, despite what Satan may have tried done, God still preserved his plan. And that should give us hope. And then finally, the last list of names, I mean, you know, pay attention, read through them slowly, make sure, see if you can pop up the cross references for them, is the descendants of the 12 sons of Jacob. And I refer, it's the 12 sons of Jacob and it's God's promise still stands. Remember in Genesis 12, we talked about this in the, in the weekend service with Abraham you know, leaving and his promise to him to have you know, as many generations, uh, many people, descendants, excuse me, as many as the sands on the seashore. And guess what? He said, despite all of our sin, despite our unfaithfulness, God is faithful. Look at all the descendants of the 12, uh, the 12 sons of Jacob and the people coming back. It might be a little less, but still God is faithful in his promise. He's preserved us despite our situation. So God is faithful. And this is the emphasis. God is faithful even when we are not. And then what I love about the genealogies, and this is something that I want you to do in your Bible, if it's on your tablet or if it's on your paper Bible, when you read First Chronicles, I want you to write down Matthew 1. Because the reason why, you know, this is the beautiful part, the last book of the Hebrew Old Testament begins with a genealogy. In the beginning, the very first book of the New Testament and the Gospel of Matthew starts off with a genealogy. This is why names are important. Names are important because it shows that God is faithful to his word. I promise you, descendants, here they are. I promise you my faithfulness, here it is. Furthermore, he says, here's the line you've been waiting and waiting for all these names and from Genesis and Exodus and Numbers and here again and Chronicles of names and more names and more names to show, guess what? Matthew 1.1, this is the book of the, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The one that you have been waiting for as we've been reading the Old Testament has arrived. Jesus Christ is the one that fulfills the genealogy of all genealogies. And so this should point us Christians to the words of Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. 
Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So compass for us Christians, when we read the Old Testament and we see how God disciplined Israel is part of his plan. And we need to trust in God and not lean on our own understanding, knowing that his plan is going to be refreshment and healing for us. Most importantly for our sins, but also in the future glorification that we have as Christians as we enter the new heavens and the new earth that God will usher in. And that is your week's DBR Spotlight. Now we're going to talk about some really important things that have really brought us here to the Hill Country uh, and really uh, through uh, the uh, guidance uh, and obedience of Pastor Mike to be planting churches. Uh, we thought it would be really uh, fruitful to talk about church planning. And so uh, on that note, Pastor Mike, could you uh, kind of relay to us or share with us really uh, the vision that God had given you to even begin planting churches and how all this started? Well, I know church planning is a hard thing to do, and people that want to start a church, uh, you know, they they're end up being fundraisers, they're meeting in homes, they're meeting with 5, 10, 15 people. I just know that churches that have a running start, that have a church behind them that's helping to pay the bills, that's getting them in a building, that's staffing their people, I mean, those are the churches that, that, that they, they move, they, they succeed, they bear fruit. And so I knew that the best way to have churches be planted is to have healthy churches that are thriving plant them. The problem is I don't think many pastors of churches that are healthy like doing it because it's such a drain on mm -hmm. the finances and on the staff of the people. You're losing some of your best people to, to plant. But I look back at the first 17 years in my ministry and saw that I did hardly any church planning. And, and I saw our church... You know, it was always serving itself. It was never looking to advance beyond the borders of our city. And I thought, what a, what a shame that was. And, and through circumstances, God got me into the next 17 years, and I'm about to come up on the next second half of, of at least what's been first 17. Now I'm in the second 17 here with, with Compass. And, and our, my commitment from the beginning was I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm going to focus on church planning. And I know it's a, it's, it feels like I'm paying it forward. In other words, I'm investing in places that we as a church won't directly benefit from, but we'll advance the evangelistic footprint of Christ in a different place. And so I, I know it, it's costly, both in terms of dollars and personnel and core groups in our church, but I've already seen enough success, and by success I mean churches that are vibrant and thriving and baptizing people that are converts to Christ. It's it's really where it's at. I mean, it's where you see good ministry multiplied. I just know right now, if I were to look at all the churches that we've planted and the things that they're doing under the leadership of their own pastors that we've put in place and helped to train, um, you know, they're, they're doing more than we ever could have done if we just kind of focused all of our resources and our attention on our own church. So I just think it's important. And as you heard me preach uh, this last weekend, um, I, you know, I want to be a, uh, a spiritual grandpa, right? I'd like to see our church plants plan. I know you're brand new here. I mean, you feel brand new and you're in your new, new building, but I, I can't wait till it's so, as I put it in the sermon, painfully crowded that you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to plant. I want you to plant. And, and I just think if you keep that in view as our seventh or eighth distinctive rather says is to always be working to plant new churches, uh, it'll happen, but you've got to keep it in the forefront of your mind. You've got to keep it in the crosshairs of your church that you want to replicate. And it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, 
for the people that had have to drive a long way to our church. Let's just put a conveniently located church there. I'm talking about in places that you know need a church, and maybe no one in your church lives in that area, and it may not be out of state, but at least it's 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 somewhere where you know it needs a good Bible teaching church. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit uh, about the sacrifice uh, of planting church from personal experience, and even from uh, our sending church, Aliso Viejo, and what all it has taken. To, of course, you guys have planted four, but even if you just zoom in on ours here in the Hill Country, you know, what would you say about the sacrifice and uh, really all the resources you guys have put into making sure that we have been able to have that running start? Yeah, you know, and I don't think people think about it, but, you know, to, for even you to sign a contract on the building, right, you, you don't have credit, you, mm-hmm. don't, you don't have, you know, the, the things that, that banks need or that, that landowners need. It's like someone else has to do it. It's almost like when you have a kid uh, that wants to buy a new car at 16, right? He can't pull that off unless he's got a co-signer. Uh, not that I think it's wise to buy your 16-year-old brand new car. <laughs> but the point is, you know, that's what we're doing with these churches. We're trying to be the uh, stability to get them started. And what we want them to do is to be self-sustaining just as quickly as they can be. And then not only that, as I put it this morning, uh, in, in the sermon, to build a war chest to be able to pay it forward to plant another church. It is costly. I mean, frankly, it's, all, it's a lot of money, and uh, yet I found that if you really want to serve God and you put your resources to things that are doing selfless things like this that are really trying to advance the kingdom, God will always pay the bills and take care of it. I mean, i got an opportunity right now. I've, I found out a building next to ours is for sale. I don't have the money to do that. If I hadn't planted these churches, right, I'm assuming we, we could pay for that. We'd have money in the bank. But I trust that if God wants to provide that for us, you know, he's going to do it. And, and God will somehow bring those resources online. And I think we have to trust God in that. You know, whether you read George mm-hmm. Mueller or you, know, you look in church history of people that have tried to do God's work, right? If it's God's work, we think God will finance it. And uh, I just think we all just need to continue to be generous. We all need to be giving. And uh, God's church is going to move forward. So it is costly, but it's worth it. And it's a good thing. And I think if we all live by that principle, um, you know, your work in the future your church plants, your missionaries, all those things, they're going to be underwritten as God's people get mobilized to serve God, not just with their time and their effort, but also with their finances. I, I think that's such an important uh, aspect of church planning that our young church don't, doesn't feel yet because we're being the benefactors of all the finances and all the resources and all the personnels. And so uh, for you guys who are listening in on this here in the Hill Country, that's something that we can look forward to, and I mean look forward to. It's not, it's not a burden that we are unwilling to make. It's something that we need to be considering even as we're benefiting from all these things to provide such a benefit for those who go after us to continue planting churches churches, that we need to really count the cost, understand the, uh, all the expenses and all of the loss of friendships, at least temporarily, uh, and, and this, all of the things that go in with planting churches. We need to also right now be grateful that a church has loved us enough to do these things, uh, but for us to also be preparing, even in the young life of our church, to be looking forward to when we can be the sacrificial uh, parents, so to speak, that send our kiddos off to uh, plant a vibrant church in a place that really, really needs it. And think about it, and we've all experienced uh, as Christians, you know, giving, and you recognize there's such joy ultimately in being obedient and giving. We're all called to give, right? We're not in an Old Testament theocracy where we're underwriting the government, but all of us are called to give to our churches. We're called to give to our ministries. And if everybody 
in your church that has said, this is my church home, we're faithful to give, right? The, not only would your bills be paid, but you could start to save for the future. Mm-hmm. And we're going to say, this isn't prosperity gospel stuff, but, you know, when people give, God takes care of those people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just I, I'm raising my kids, teaching them to give from the time they first got their allowances, they... You know, God is always going to bless generous givers. And I just, we've seen that in our ministries. Hopefully we've seen that ourselves. We're all given as, as church leaders as well. And, and God, it's just a good thing to be in a church where people are obedient with their finances because it just is a reflection of where our heart is. And those of us that love God first, we're going to put God above, uh, you know, our calendars and our paychecks. And uh, God is going to honor a church like that. And that's the only kind of church I want to be a part of, right, is where people are loving God with their time and their effort, their talent, and, and their money as well. It's, it's, it's a good thing. And it's, so I never feel bad. I do feel bad sometimes because the culture thinks you're trying to get into their wallet. But ultimately, there's nothing healthier for a Christian to feel satisfied as an obedient Christian than to be loving God by uh, being, being good givers. Hmm. So good. Uh, as we wrap up our current event, we have a lot of current events going on uh, and announcements that we know are important to you guys as a church that we want to be uh, keeping in front of you. And the first one is Exploring Compass. We have our June intensive coming up on June the 12th from 1 to 4 p.m. Uh, we want you guys to uh, prioritize this if you haven't, because of course you know you can't serve at Compass until you finish Exploring Compass. And so we want you guys to get plugged in. Uh, to get to know about us and uh, to jump in and uh, get plugged in so you can start serving and building God's church here. That is June 12th from 1 to 4 p.m. You can register online at compasshillcountry.org. We also have our uh, life group women's fellowships coming up. I think we actually just did that this past week. So unless you, some of you gals haven't met yet, we encourage you to meet this next week so you can go through James 1, 2 through 4 that Kayla had preached on here recently. Uh, we also have child dedications. We didn't announce it this past weekend. We have lots of people signed up for those. Uh, but if you have never brought your kids before the church to stand before the congregation to commit to raising your children for Christ, to have the church uh, really wrap their arms around you guys, to be praying for you guys, to be partnering with you in uh, bringing your children up and in, in the instruction of the Lord, we invite you to sign up on compasshillcountry.org to have your children dedicated on June 19th at the 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. And so if you were one of those families, we'd love to have you there. And even if we have to stretch this across a couple different uh, weekends, we'd love to have as many of our kiddos uh, committed before the church uh, for their parents to raise them up uh, in the instruction of the Lord so we can see them being made wise unto salvation. Uh, Two final announcements. We have our kids and summer camps coming up, and we want you to register now. We have summer kids camps from uh, Science Camp on June the 21st to the 23rd, and we have our art camp June 28th through the 30th. Those are coming up just a month and a half away, and so we'd love for you guys to register any of your kids uh, from uh, 1st through 5th grade. And then in July, we have our VBS-type camp called Camp Compass, and it's from July 12th through the 15th, and it's all incoming first through fifth graders. You can find out more information online, compasshillcountry.org. We'd love for you guys to have all the kiddos there, uh, and let's train them and teach them. Uh, Even uh, I was uh, hanging out with a couple of our families, and every time I go over to a new family's house, uh, the kids were listening to the music from last year's Camp Compasses and kids' camps and just how this music stays with them, what they learn stays with them and it actually continues instructing them and undergirding them in the truth of Scripture. So uh, what you send them to this summer will stay with them for years and years to come. 
Uh, with that being said, we have our student camp, or what we call our revival, taking place on July 20th through 23rd at the Carolina Creek Christian Camp, north of Huntsville, Texas, and that's for all incoming 6th through 12th graders, and our theme is logos, or word in Greek, and we will be teaching your kiddos from 6th to 12th grade how to take God at his word. Uh, Pastor Mike, we have a, a really big event. It's kind of a partnership of a few different uh, churches called the National Equipped Conference. Could you give us a blurb and, and kind of explain what this is and what the purpose behind the National Equipped Conference is? Yeah, the June the 3rd, 4th, and 5th, so that's coming up real quickly, we have the National Equipped Conference. It's our, it's our first one ever. It's going to be hosted in Boise at the Boise Center, which is their convention center downtown. Of course, we have a church plant there that's very healthy and doing well. And we'll see a lot of people from that church attending this, but also our participants from Aliso Viejo, Huntington Beach, Tustin, and I hope some from the Hill Country will come up and join us. We've got a full lineup of, of seminars and breakout sessions all around the centrality and the importance of Scripture. We thought the first one, being a bunch of Compass Bible churches getting together and encouraging each other, we should focus on the authority, the inspiration, and, and the reliability of Scripture. This is our constitution. This is our guide. And so we need to think about it from every direction. We need to think about it apologetically, which doesn't mean we apologize for it. It means we're defending the veracity, the truthfulness, the reliability, the authority, the inspiration, and errancy of Scripture. All of that is going to be talked about. Every breakout session, I think, is going to be super helpful in the practical questions of how you view the Bible and how you apply the Bible. All of our associate pastors of all of our church plants are going to be leading the breakout sessions, and then our main plenary sessions, as they call them, are all going to be led by our senior pastors. Uh, we're going to have a big um, uh, table talk, if you will, uh, with you, Pastor Hayden, in the afternoon on Saturday, which we're going to walk through some very practical issues, and we'll have all of our senior pastors on that platform. We're looking forward to that. So I would encourage you, I know it's a, you know, it's a big investment maybe to get away for a weekend, but to see our church plant there in Treasure Valley, which is how our conference ends on June the 5th. There are three services, and that'll be the end of the, of the conference. Choose one of those three services on Sunday morning, June the 5th, which happens to also be the birthday of Compass Bible Church back in Aliso Viejo, so it's a special day for me every year. But we're going to have a uh, celebration of just the good things that God has done. But you can go to the National Equip Conference website, just look that up online. If you want to be a part of it, sign up last minute, maybe make it a road trip, get in the car, uh, and meet us there if you can. And if you can't make it, at least be praying for us. It would be a very good time. We hope to do this every two years, and I want it to be an encouragement just to see people from all of our compasses getting together and encouraging each other about important issues. And this year, Nothing could be more important than our view of Scripture. Mm. Great announcement, and we are looking forward to what God is going to do through the National Equipped Conference on June 3rd through the 5th. Uh, guys, we're so grateful for you guys. We're praying for you this week as you jump into your application questions, as you're living life faithful to the Lord, and we look forward to seeing you guys next week. Mm -hmm.